Welcome back to the Seek Outside podcast with Kevin and Dennis. Uh, this is our launch of what we're going to call season two of the Seek Outside podcast since we've taken a, a few month month hiatus here this fall. Uh, we've been busy uh, busy with work stuff and also busy out hunting. Um, and today we just wanted to give everybody an update on what Seek Outside is looking at and in in 2021 uh, what what you can maybe see uh, or expect coming from us in 2021 um, but first uh, Kevin how was your fall my fall was great it was absolutely awesome um, spent time hunting with my oldest son Owen on a backpack hunt um, in uh, early October absolutely love that time of year um, and then I um, spent time backpack hunting with one of our employees and friend of mine, Nathan. Um, and we had a good time as well. It was a funny, stark contrast. Um, Owen and I, um, he was hunting first season. I was really just kind of with him. And we really went with the lightweight thing. He took a Cimarron ultralight and a u-turn stove um and it worked really well for us and you know there wasn't any real severe weather except for wind at that time and then the next season we were expecting a lot of weather and since we tried to uh test out a lot of our shelters i mean we test them all quite extensively but also in comparison um we opted to go where we before we've used the Redcliffe ultralight this time we went with the courthouse and while it's a much bigger uh, or felt much bigger, it isn't really any bigger by footprint. Um, you know, hooking it up the mountain was definitely a little bit different, but it certainly felt uh, decadent to be in for a few days. Kind of felt like we were cheating. Yeah. Um, and so you, and you, you guys were able to, you guys backpack that in, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a yeah. car camping situation. Yeah, we backpacked it in 3,000 feet of vertical. Um, and we had an SXL stove. We did a lot of firewood prep. Um, we we went for the comfy camp to see how that, that side of the world lives. Um, and while it was a bit more of a pain in the butt to pack in, um, you know, we, we strung like a hanging rope between the two poles. We carried a log in there to sit. And we found a big log, carried it in there. It was like a bench seat. Um, you know, it was, it was, it felt kind of like cheating. It really did. In fact, uh, we saw some people come up and camp near us. Uh, it was, it was a guy and his daughter and wife, and they were all tucked underneath the little tarp, you know, that they had pitched about a foot and a half off the ground. And we felt kind of guilty over there, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, in, we felt, in the courthouse. <laughs> Yeah, you know, they were, they, they carried up these big loads and you could tell the misery on their face. And then they, and then they, uh, set up their little tarp and huddled around the fire and stuff. And Dennis, and I, or not Dennis, uh, Nathan and I were kind of like, wow, <laughs> we feel kind of like dicks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so I, I know two questions people, people would, would ask is, uh, SXL in the courthouse is that big enough? Did you did you like that size stove? Yeah, it worked well. I mean, the courthouse is very efficient space-wise, um, but it really isn't that high of a volume tent. 
Um, so that worked, that worked okay. very well. And we tested out some new gear, um, which will be part of what we probably get into when we start about talking about uh, a little bit of where we've been and where we're going, um, you know, to our customers mm-hmm. here. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we did a little bit of testing of some new stuff that um, worked really well as well. It was it was spot on. So, Cool. Um, second thing would be, what kind of weather did you endure with the courthouse up there? We actually endured some pretty good wind, um, in fact. Um, but as Owen said, it was the best pitch courthouse he'd ever seen, and um, not going to say not going to say that super hard on that. But I took I took more substantial stakes um, for the bulk of it, and focused on the fundamentals of setting it up really nice and taut and it was pitched really well and in the wind i mean it was it was rock solid and i know some people have had a few issues usually it's been around tent staking and stuff and yeah it does require and rely on really good uh tent staking so i took some of our twisty stakes and then i took some of the blue stakes that i wish we had as production stakes um but we don't mm-hmm. um and then i took a a few other mixed stakes like i didn't i just took regular stakes for the guy outs but i had mostly twisty and blue around the perimeter sure and and let's uh let's touch on those blue stakes uh, some people have seen them in our in our youtube videos they were a, a prototype stake that we had used um, you and I had actually used them probably for the last year. Um, yep. Yeah, I think we got them last October. So we used them, used them for a full year, got a run of them in, and we, we we got what you like to call kind of the bait and switch. We The stakes we had tested were definitely not the ones we received, uh, received to send to customers. So. Yeah, that, that caused a few complaints um, looking back um from customers um and stakes are a pretty frequent complaint um uh, by our customers um there there isn't one best stake for every type of soil and every type of condition um we thought the blue ones would be a a really really excellent balance um but you know the the ones we had as testers were an excellent balance the big shipment we got weren't. And then 2020, as everyone knows, has been a bit of a different year. There's been challenges and all sorts of things. And uh, tent stakes were actually kind of a big challenge for us this year, as in having enough tent stakes. At one point, we had a ton of orders sitting around and no tent stakes. Um, and we were buying 1,000 tent stakes here from whoever we could get some tent stakes from. You know, I was like, oh, calling up someplace. You have 870? Sure, we'll take them. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. Just to get orders out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, tent stakes, and we don't have to uh, spend a lot of time here, but just, you know, they are something that we are we are very aware of and, and try. You know, again, we've tested those blue ones um, and, and multiple other ones, I guess, for the last year, um, only to come up with the fact that, 
the one the the current sin takes we have are actually pretty good in comparison to a lot of things uh and that i guess we we will continue that pursuit right towards maybe that uh that unicorn ten stake out there that that works that checks the boxes in more categories than than most ten stakes do yep uh there was another unicorn ten stake before the blue one that I was trying to get us to move to. Um, that I spent about a year testing. Um, but by the time we were ready to do it, the company that had made them decided that they weren't going to make those stakes anymore um, because their whole goal was they wanted to get enough people purchasing those stakes that they could invest in a lot of tooling to get the cost to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um and they said they weren't making any money on them at the cost they were. And so it's not like a thing that we uh, that we purposely say, well, let's give people the cruddiest stakes we can find. It, it isn't that, you know. Um, we try to find better stakes, um, but it takes two to tangle. And outside, short of making them ourselves, uh, which I don't really want to do, um, we haven't had much luck and to be really honest with people like we get we get reviews right we get reviews in our cart people say oh i love this product or whatever right and we approve almost every review unless there's something that we think is factually not accurate or is way out of bounds with what the bulk of customer experience is in which case we maybe try to reach out and resolve the issue but we had someone give us a scathing review on our tent stakes because I think they just came and bought tent stakes only from us, which I'd never really consider us a tent stake supplier. And they bought the, the, and they gave us, I published it just to try to get people to, you know, not think that they're, you know, to, to get their expectations set somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. on it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. We go through so many tent stakes that it has to be, we have to be able to get whatever tent stake it is in some sort of really large quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those things become kind of a bit of a challenge, you know? Um, and it and it takes two, uh, as I said, you know, we had the blue ones, which we thought were great. And, um, you know, then we got kind of, for lack of a better term, bait and switch. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think the the big takeaway here for for people, for our customers listening and stuff, is that uh, we are constantly trying. I think that's a uh, you know, it, it isn't that we decided five years ago that the the ten stakes you know um, are just going to be what they are. Uh, we are constantly trying to find and and source better ten stakes. Just nobody really makes them. They're just not available. They're not available in the quantities. Um, and then in, in the most recent case with the blue ones, when we did think we had had something, they ended up not coming through, you know, the way we thought they would. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and I mean, I guess that I guess that goes, that dovetails really well into our 2020-2021 because we're constantly trying to do improvements. Right, we hmm. we we aren't we aren't someone that releases a product 
and says we're never changing this product for 10 years. Um, we're constantly rolling in little improvements where we can. A lot of times they probably aren't even noticed by customers, right? Uh, I mean, it's like we move this loop or we change the manufacturing method uh, or, or the order to get a little bit better performance here or we discreetly change a material. Um, mm -hmm. So when we kind of get into the where we've been, where we're going, um, what to expect in 2021, a lot of it is just continuous little improvement. And as a manufacturer, some of that is a little challenging because there's going to be a certain segment of customers that don't want us to change a thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, that they're like, oh, man, I bought that tent 18 months ago. I know I should have waited until they rolled in this improvement. Sure. You know? Sure. Or, yeah. or or what they have, they've had and they've loved and it's just working so great for them that they don't want to see any little change to it, right? Um, but then there's also customers that are on the cutting edge and we believe real wholeheartedly in that continuous improvement of everything we do. So this time of year, we start to really look at things like you guys will notice um, that we're going to send out a survey. We're going to send it out. We're going to inundate people with a opportunity to take a survey here mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks. And the reason being is that's really good opportunity for us to check in on how we're doing on customer service, how we're doing on shipping, how we're doing what, how your use cases are changing, right? Like are more of our customers getting more into archery hunting or are they getting into overlanding or some other, other right, or other sure. outdoor activity? And then also it's a good thing to see if our customer base as a whole is changing its demographics a little bit. For instance, this year, um, was a very different year in the outdoor recreation world. Um, a lot of things that were made overseas or stores or whatever weren't available. A lot of people bought um, from local in the U.S. things. A lot of companies had business, was doing great this year in the outdoor rec world. And then you kind of couple that with, I would say over the last 18 months, our focus has generally been on more ultralight options. You know, mm -hmm. we've kind of trended more in an ultralight direction and with some of it with um, three season, just general recreationalists in mind as well. Um, so we, we can start to see maybe there's a change in what our customers are wanting or desiring as well. So we'll send out the survey. Um, we'll ask a lot of questions. And as many people who answer it, the, the, the more that answer it, and do a good job, the better uh, for us. It helps us make better decisions. And I want to tell a little story. Um, we also have a tendency to go back through things where they feel that where people have answered that we failed at some level, right? Mm -hmm. And try to find out what we did. So we can take those and kind of sort them down. And we don't want to be intrusive, but if someone really didn't like some experience with us, we might try to contact them and find out where the where it was, where the problem was. And the funny thing is, 
The last time we did that, about half the people we did that on, which was a very small segment, it, it was very small, but maybe five or 10 people out of 800 or something that answered mm-hmm. the survey, uh, about half of them were like, I hit the wrong box now, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> they, they gave you a zero instead of a five and, and you asked them, like, oh, yeah, never mind, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, never mind. I, I was just kind of going through quickly. I would, I would totally give you, I love you guys' stuff or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we do try to find things because we want to increase our and, – and overall, I think we mostly do a really good to fantastic to almost outstanding job. Our people at the shop, all that, do a fantastic job at most things. But – we want to always find things that we can do better. It either be a process, uh, materials, or expectations, or whatever with our customers. We want to give them the ultimate experience. Sure, and I, I think a good a good segue from so the survey. You know, please when when if you listen to this podcast and you you see that survey, please please spell that out for us. Um, but. A good segue from there into kind of that 2021 uh, where we're going would would be, I think, kind of um, our NES, right? And what we're going to do mm-hmm. with NES and, and really working to uh, create maybe a better integration with our t- changing changing how they pitch on the inside, maybe maybe adjusting some sizing, right? And, and you can speak to that more than mm-hmm. I can for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have – I mean, I can kind of go through – like what to expect from us product-wise, and one of them is like the Nest. We want to uh, we want to create a tighter integration. That you know, early on, our Nests were more of an afterthought, right? Now we're finding that a lot of people are buying Nests, right? And they're using the tents in the summer with their wife, kids, with a Nest, or whatever. So we want to tighten that integration with them right and do whatever we can to improve our nest improve the quality of the nest improve how it connects how it works as part of the whole system Um, now those things just because we say that we want to do that doesn't mean that well tomorrow and all of a sudden it's going to be all new nest right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it's it's probably going to be a few month process. Some things are probably going to be discrete changes people don't notice, or they're going to be a change in how it hooks up, or an inch or two in sizing difference here, mm-hmm. or little things like that. But it's also for the bulk of people. My guess is it's an excellent time. Most people are probably not thinking about taking a nest with them at this moment. So if you want to buy that Cimarron and half nest or full nest, um, go ahead. But if you are one who doesn't want want to make sure you get the latest, greatest, you probably can buy the Cimarron right now and just wait three, four months on the nest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so I know in our conversation, kind of design meeting conversations, the, the nest, and, and again, most of these things for, for most of the nests are very minor changes that, mo- you know, the majority of people, myself included, might not ever notice. You know, it's a change mm-hmm. of one inch on a mesh side that I would, you know, without laying them out next to each other with a ruler, you would have no idea that they that they were changed. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And some of it's just trying to unify as well, like to make sure that our instructions can be as similar across the platform as possible. So when people talk, just say challenges in the online world, right? Bob buys tent and nest, he goes and he asks somewhere and, and he hooks it up one way. And if John buys a different tent and nest and it hooks up differently and John gets online and problem, Bob may give him instructions saying, well, it's beautiful. It hooks up, but they're actually for something different. And maybe he doesn't know that that's done differently. So we want to try and make standardize as sure. much as possible as well. So that way the message um, is much more consistent across across platforms, no matter if it's an SO rep talking or if it's a customer chatting on an online platform. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next piece that comes to mind uh, as far as kind of maybe changes that are coming that people, uh, you know, can look forward to would be, um, would be our damper, I think. And I don't know if you can talk to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. That one should be rolling in very shortly. Um, I think some people are getting them um, already. Um, and I would expect relative now, some people are probably going to be like, oh, this doesn't look like the damper on in the photo. Right. And that's going to, that's going to be true. We're going to reshoot those photos and get those all redone. But we feel that this is a value and I'll give you a little history of where this is going. Um, our original damper is the butterfly style with a spark screen in it. Um, sometimes the spark screen falls out. Um, sometimes people take them out on purpose for packing and they don't fit in as tight. Um, and sometimes the butterfly part breaks due to one issue or another, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so we replace them. Um, the last two years, I probably haven't even really used. I've used the ultra arrester. Like if it's an either or choice, I've taken the ultra, and I control burn much more with my wood choices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like I put in a. If I don't want it to be super hot, I put in a bigger, slower burning piece of wood. And if I want to create a lot of heat, I put in smaller finger sized pieces of wood, right? Um, so I control the burn much more like that and use the air intake. And initially our stoves, that's kind of the evolution of the product. Initially we didn't have a control for the air intake as well, right? That wasn't something you could control. Um, so what our new one is going to be is actually going to be the ultra arrestor, but with a slide-in damper added to it. And okay. the reason for that, can you, can you just uh, can you just explain the ultra arrester for people that maybe don't don't know? Yeah. So the ultra arrester is basically a butterfly spark arrester, right? So, and the benefit of that is that if you happen to burn something that was ex- exceptionally sooty 
you can clog your arrestor and then it can be a pain in the butt. Or what you can happen is your pipe can get sooty and cool off. And then when you start a fire, if you don't start it really hot and fast to get a really good draw right away, uh, when it's cold, the inside of that soot can heat up, but without enough draw, it can come back down and kind of clog up your damper as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or clog up your spark arrestor. In which case, that's that's a crappy time in your tent. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's not, not, not fun when smoke doesn't go the way you want it to go. Right, right. And then you're and then you're figuring out how to put out the fire quickly and get the stove out of your tent and let's try this all over again, right? Mm. Um so the ultra arrestor solves that. Um because it basically can be dumped. It just you just turn the flap and mm-hmm. you can basically dump it. Um and it's a much more foolproof. It's not going to fall out. It's not going to do other things, right? Uh, like that. So that combined with the slide-in style damper to control burn. Um, and slide-in is just like a piece that slides in through a slit. Um, and the reason we chose that for that piece is to try to keep the size of the damper still relatively small. Because when you stack two butterfly components on each other, it's yeah, bigger. Big. Uh, yeah. So this keeps it packable and small. Um, Nathan and I used this setup at our camp um, to give people an idea on the SXL. You know, we dampened, dampened it down because we were about ready to get take our clothes off in there. It was getting pretty warm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't want to see Nathan take his clothes off. You probably <laughs> don't want to see me take your clothes off either, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, both of us sitting in our underwear on our log we pulled in there. Probably not. <laughs> probably not everyone's idea of, you know, fun, your, you know? Your neighbors uh, there might have questions for you. Yeah, exactly. Especially if those especially if those two girls came over and were like, hey, uh, we're really cold over here. You guys mind if we sit in your tent a little bit? And we're in there in our underwear no probably wouldn't work well yeah and so but but it worked really really well it was immediate um it's not a full dampening down it's about a 65 percent dampening down we limited it um so you're always going to have some airflow um but it really did cool off the burn relatively immediately and quickly but allowed it to burn for quite a while um so those are going to be going out and for anyone that needs a replacement that will be you know that will be available and then also people should be able to order them if they want to upgrade i do expect some people probably will kind of give us some flack on it um we can't we can't really do anything without getting some flack the the flack will probably be mostly around that it's not like the photos but it's improvement. It's not costing you anymore. Um, it gives you essentially both functions um, in the same weight, size, and it does both of them better, in my opinion. Um, so I think the bulk of people are going to like it a lot better. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think there's that perceive perception, right, that the that the butterfly style works better. Quote works better. 
um, or or is easier to use maybe than than the slide in. But um, I think I think ultimately the um, the the ability to open kind of open and dump your spark arrestor is just going to help so many people out. You know, it just makes it a lot is. of sense. Yeah. It is no more smoking yourself out of the tent. Um, if you put in a piece of wood that you shouldn't have or didn't get a fire going hot enough right off the bat, um, that won't happen. And likewise, I think the burn control is actually more immediate and more mm. precise. You know, the other one, you don't really know what's going on there. In there, you can't see it. You can't you see know? it, yeah. Yep. You know, you don't. You think you closed it maybe fifty percent or maybe sixty percent. You don't know this. You know what you you, you can see it. You have sure. feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So damper twenty 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 one damper that that again will will be or is already shipping as of uh, us recording this thing. Um. Next piece, you know, we we talked a little bit about fabrics. Um, I, you know, obviously, we get some questions about our Dyneema and if it's gonna ever be in. Uh, I don't know, is it white or did they call it gray? Um, you know, at 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 this point, I, I think I can I can speak to kind of an up, update on Dyneema stuff. Is we're gonna stick with the spruce because we like the spruce better than the gray. Um, and then we're also taping all the seams on there now um, in a, in kind of coordination with Dyneema themselves uh, and making really, really strong tents out of the sage. Um, so sage is here to stay. Uh, uh, the, the gray uh, probably won't come back uh, if we can help it. Yeah, and one of the, one of the things on the gray the, or the gray, white, clear, whatever, it's a little less expensive. Um, but it also, if you use it in a hot tent thing, it can develop kind of a, a smoky tint to it, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. you, you, for whatever reason. It looks like a dirty white shirt that like you can't get clean, right? Right, right. Yeah. It's like it's just kind of got some funk to it that you that you can't get out of it. Um, and again, that's that's in uh, our testing of that over a couple of years. You know, they just kind of they just didn't look as nice as as we would like. Right, right. The uh, the spruce sage, which gets confusing because it's called spruce by Dyneema, but it's very similar to what our sage is. And so, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I we think is more aesthetically pleasing over the long run um in that way yeah yeah exactly um anything else in in fabric i don't i mean we're not adding um i don't think we're adding any new fabrics but we might we might be doing some different things on with with uh the spectra fabrics this year well bricks i think we are moving our sage so nylon we are going to remove the uh, PU element of it that made it a little less sticky um, mm-hmm. because it does weaken it a little bit. Um, it isn't an issue in smaller mid-sized tents at all, um, but I think we are going to move that into a pure sill 
and then make that available throughout the bulk of the product line as well um, because it will be just as strong as our other fabrics. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, the redwood brownish is our most popular color. Um, but I think the bulk of the actual employees at SO prefer to stay in the sage. Mm, the sage um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if I have my choice, I'll take a sage tent or Dyneema tent. And it's not that I dislike the other colors. Um, I like that it stands out a little bit in the woods, but it stands out a little bit discreetly. It's not like a blaring orange tent or mm. a lime green, you know. Yeah, or, or a red. I was looking at some old old pictures of like a BT two or something in red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It doesn't stand out that, but it stands out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm one who I don't really want to hide my camp. I want people to know I'm there. Um, which is funny because I know in the hunting world there's some people that want to hide their camp. Well, I want people to see my tent and be like, ah, I guess I'll keep boogieing along. This isn't someone's already here. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want my tent to be off in a camo color at the side of something and other people to come through and be like oh we're going to set up here and not even have any idea I'm there you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I want them to run along um, but I think it also crosses over a little better into the different verticals as well sure. um, you also brought up spectra. Um, yeah, we're going to integrate Spectrum more across our line in the pack bags. Um, the weight yep. savings. I, I know is, you used uh, you used a uh, integrated uh, integrated full Spectra lanner this year, right? Is it kind of that that size mm-hmm. pack for people who are familiar? Um, mm-hmm. And and you've enjoyed that very much. Yeah, I have. It's it's been totally fine. Um, no, Nathan used a sixty three hundred Spectra. I know Owen used an integrated lantern Spectra. I know Zach, who's doing that review for Rockslide, is using an integrated Spectra uh, mm-hmm. lantern. Um, yeah, but like some of the samples we've shown, I mean, the, the weight has been impressive i mean if what was provided by arlo and our little design application that we use if those numbers were correct i mean i probably can rock a uniweep and talon for well under three pounds um Mm. in spectra and i could hunt all of archery season out of that you know that's totally big enough for archery season and three pounds you know certainly makes you a lot more nimble running around the mountains yeah and and for um i'm trying to trying to let people understand if they don't necessarily know our packs super well uh a uniweep and that would be in in a 4800 is what you would rock that Mm -hmm. in 4800 with a a talon yeah that's what he did the sample on but my calculation just from it you know extrapolating was like wow you know i'm about two and a half pounds out of talent and some compression and i'm well sub three and to put that into perspective 
I mean, the Uniweed car- can carry 100, 120 pounds without an issue. Yeah. Um, if you have it sized right, it's it's the same suspension, it's the same everything. Um, and for a long time, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of ultralight people that are using Z packs or hyperlights or things like that. But even if you look at like the hyperlight porter, I think I think it's the porter, and you build their little their little pocket on the back. You're getting in the closer to three pound range anyway, and frankly, it's an entirely different class of pack. And I don't mean that as an insult, but you know, to anyone, but it's an entirely different class of pack um, mm-hmm. from from build and capability. And if I can get sub three on that, I mean that's that's lighter than the ULA Catalyst, which is you know for the last. 10 years has probably been the pack used on through hikes more than anything, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, it's like, why not? <laughs> you know, if you can, yeah. I mean, although, I mean, I certainly can make the argument for using our flight for just the backpacking part of it. Um, but, you know, to be able to run around archery season, you know, with a sub three pound pack and like a 12 ounce Silex. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. 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 Why not? I mean, your whole, I mean, you're getting, you, yeah. I don't, I don't know. For people that don't backpack hunt, maybe it's, it's not as, you know, it's not a big deal, or, or they don't spend a, a ton of time, or you know, five, five pounds or three pounds doesn't seem like a big deal. Um, when you pick up a five pound pack and a three pound pack, you can just tell, right? I mean, it, it's significant. It's a significant difference, and to be able to do that in a pack that can still carry a um, hundred plus pounds with ease, you know, I mean, it's using the same frame as our other packs. So uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, to me, that's a really exciting stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that, I mean, if you go look at the big review that's going on on rock slide, I mean, most of the packs he's been reviewing, they're still in that six, seven pound range. There's two or, you know, or five or upper fives. There's only two that are probably really breaking the four pound range. Uh, on that so to be able to break the three pound range and not give a whole lot up why not <laughs> yeah why, why not yeah yeah, it's, you know, uh, it, i'm i'm excited yeah yeah exactly I'm, ex- I'm excited to keep testing that uh spectra and in, in many different uh pack options that we have um so cool so so spectra is going to get there um we've been working on a redesign of hip belt pockets I'll, I'll set that out there as a teaser for everybody i think those are those are really close uh really mm-hmm. close to coming out um anything else that i'm missing as far as packs go um possibly possibly a flight two that has the shorter bottle pocket and maybe a mesh um back pocket you know wears away rear face pocket um is a little more outfitted like the gila um possibly a sizing difference there but i don't know i mean and let me preface these things i mean um whether you're and this isn't meant to be political and it shouldn't be political but it's been politicized but you know we're in the middle of a pandemic just like everyone else right so 
um, more than anything, we need to be adaptable in what we do and, you know, be able to. So while we talk about these things um, and we want to do these things, sometimes they might come a little quicker. Sometimes they might come a little slower just because <clears throat> this is a challenging time. We don't know. People could get kind of shut down or whatever, or we've had times we've had a couple people that have tested positive and we've ended up losing quite a few employees for a couple weeks during that mm -hmm. time frame. Mm -hmm. And while that might not sound like a lot, if you're busy like we were in July and you and 10 people are out for two weeks, that mm -hmm. really sticks the lead times back because our first priority is to get product ordered out the door. And then it's about sewing prototypes, testers, things like that. Mm -hmm. So that does move things. I mean, perfect world, all this stuff happens, you know, February to April timeframe or earlier in the case of like the damper and things like that. Um, but, you know, we have to be, we have to be adaptable at this time. And, while there's things we want to do that we think we can get done, you know, if we if we lose ten people for two weeks, that might change things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think that's it's a good point to make and something you know we're having this conversation and, and recording this for people because we kind of want to pull back uh, pull back the curtain as it were and, and be transparent, but at the same time, like we're in a we're running this business right, and and things happen. So if we if we talk about a spectra uh, or a flight to say, and it doesn't come out in the next two weeks, just, just know that we're working on it. You know, like it's, it's happening. We, we want to get, get that out there and, and kind of show you guys our, our process. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, we did mention at Western hunt last year, guardian had a lot of comments on the guardian. We are working on, a larger zipperless tent. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to, we're, we're hesitant to say any exact details on, on at this moment, at this moment. Um, but it is in the works. I don't have a necessarily, uh, an ETA. Um, the last one I had was, was pretty darn, was pretty darn nice tent. Right. Um, but, as far mm -hmm. as the ETA on it, um, we'll just have to kind of see where that where that comes out, mm -hmm. right? And it's meant to be more of a to to kind of refine it, so people aren't like, oh well, I'm not going to buy a Redcliffe now because they said they're doing a larger zip. It's not going to be something that competes with a Redcliffe. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be more in that silver tip to a little bug out Cimarron kind of size and i don't think really that it's a competitor with the cimarron either um but it's but it maybe gets close to being a competitor with the cimarron mm -hmm. but i don't but i don't think it does ultimately mm -hmm. and and yeah and again trying to be uh transparent for everyone you have had one proto two prototypes i believe of that of that yeah. and, and we're still talking about um, heights and measurements in indoors and, and it says it's coming but it's, it's definitely a slow process and 
the last uh, the last six eight months, right, with the kind of COVID lockdown stuff, uh, we we just didn't make the progress we thought we would make on on that tent this year. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that that one was really um, the COVID lockdown stuff probably really impacted that a lot because it was much harder to get together in that face-to-face and we were very busy we didn't really have the resources to put into that side of stuff Mm -hmm. um dedicated as well now i will say the couple of my thinking on it is not to to try to drum up to try to drum up any uh salesmanship or anything there's a couple other features that we're trying to push the envelope on uh, that tent as well mm-hmm. um, that I think people will find, for lack of a better term, clever. Um, but I guess that's kind of what we do often is do something a little clever. Mm-hmm. Um, and having seen it in weather, significant wind and snow, I think it's going to be a really good shelter for poor weather for the people mm-hmm. that want something that to them they, the 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 first inclination is to grab something like a tunnel tent. I think it will do really well for those folks. Yeah, yeah, and that's all we're going to say about it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're going to cut it off. Uh, but it's not a tunnel tent. But it's not a tunnel tent. No. Um. Cool, Kevin. Is there anything else? I'm I'm trying to rack my brain. I don't think there's a whole lot, uh, whole lot else from the design kind of 2021. Just you know, uh, know that we're coming out with some stuff and and be patient with us. Uh, we'll we're working on it hard, you know. So yeah, I mean, the best thing for people to do is to interact with us, right? in our places um and i don't mean to say that we try to just be in our little bubble um because we don't but i mean interact with the survey um interact on our facebook adventures page um especially if we ask a question on there um interact you know send us something to info if there's something you would really like to see now also keep in mind that we have a we have a direct to customer model for the most part. Um, I enjoy this model because I think it it gives us a better connection to our customers, right? For mm-hmm. what they're wanting, what they're seeing, instead of a retailer having that connection. And I'll just kind of go down this rabbit hole, this model a little bit real quick, right? If we went to outdoor retailer and sold all these products to stores, right? Um, the store would be guessing on what they think their customers want, what they think their customers are going to buy. Then they're going to come to us and kind of guess as well, right? And so there isn't really that. And then after we push it out using the traditional model, say the retailer buys 10 similes, just let's use this as an example. He buys 10, puts them in a store, he sells 10. More than likely, at that point, most of the service should go through that retailer. Um, if the customer has a problem, they should go to that retailer. 
and ask them about the problem or what to fix, or possibly even if they have a warranty issue, right? And then mm-hmm. they would work with us more often than not. Sometimes they would work with us directly, but a lot of times it would go through that retailer. And that retailer owns the relationship, which is good for the retailer, which is why he may, how he makes money, right? But from our point of view, we're not getting that data the same way. We're getting it through another source. We're getting it obfuscated. Um, when we work directly with you, if you if everyone sits there and says, "Man, I want a red tent," well, guess what? Mm-hmm. We're gonna we can make a red tent. <laughs> yeah, we can make red tents. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if everyone says that in the survey, unless we feel you guys are gaming the system and trying to lead us down some wrong path, you know, <laughs> um, if that's the case, that's uncool, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but likewise, if you guys have problems or whatever, um, you're working with us and no one knows our product as well as we do. You know, you're working with, you know, the retailer would probably know our product somewhat, but even at the retail level, there's a pretty big discrepancy in the level of knowledge between, say, different things at different stores. You can go to one store mm-hmm. and you'd be like, well, this guy really knows everything, but he comes at it from a backpacking viewpoint or a mountaineering viewpoint. This person knows, well, we kind of do a lot of that and a lot of those different things. And so I feel that we're the best ones to support you in, in that fact. and that us having that dialogue works really well. But at the same time, sometimes we get people, and it isn't just us. There's other people in the business, clothing companies, stuff like this I've talked to, where they get customers that would be like, if you guys would just put this pocket here, it would be perfect. But, you know, perfect to one Bob over here is not perfect to Joe over here, right? You can maybe get to 90, 95% perfection, but with both of them, but that last little detail, they each want something a little bit different. And it becomes kind of funny because sometimes we do get feedback, which I greatly appreciate, but sometimes people are very like, well, if you would do this, your product would be so much better. And they'll be like, well, you're the first person out of about 6,000 people or some number like that, Mm -hmm. that has brought that up. That's a really corner case usage that I don't know if the other 5,000 people are even expecting to use it in that way, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, we, we, we have the right to not take the feedback, I guess I would say, and I'm not trying to say it in a, in a negative way. Um, but please reach out to us, but realize that sometimes it gets into what we kind of term the Goldilocks syndrome, where it just becomes too specialized to one person's use mm-hmm. that it doesn't, doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. And in, in that term is applied to uh, my feedback, you know, a lot as well, you know, for everybody out there, like I, I'll give feedback and, and, you know, again, it'll get tossed back. Well, that's for you and no one else cares, Dennis. So just, you know, <laughs> so exactly. it, it's not, and, it, yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or, we I wanna, we I don't do move it. Something, yeah. 
we don't do it to just the customers. We do it to ourselves as well. Nathan has his Goldilocks ideas. I have my Goldilocks ideas. Yeah. You know, we all we all have it. You know, and but it just kind of is what it is, right? It, it becomes very specialized that you wear your pack a way that is different than most people, and so you want something a touch different. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I would I would encourage you know that we definitely like hearing that stuff because because sometimes there is you know even though we might not go full into a specific detail that that was mentioned you know I, I might have some feedback we don't go full in uh, but we might change some things right and it might be maybe where this strap adjusts the fabric we use in a certain location like we, we can address some issues that way so we appreciate all of that feedback for sure mm-hmm. yeah um i think that was it's just a long way of saying that we appreciate everyone that's listening and we appreciate all of our customers and please tell us uh please tell us what you think you know we're gonna we're gonna have this survey uh come out sometime again in the next couple of weeks uh, you guys can take advantage and, and let us know let us know what you think uh, so we can keep making making really cool stuff for you. Um, any anything else, Kevin? I think I mean that covers a lot of stuff. We've been going at this for 53 minutes now. Longer than we intended. Um, for sure. Um, changes for our 2020 or for our season two of the podcast. I don't know mm-hmm. if you want to go over those or if we just they'll be self-evident when they happen. Yeah, um, nothing is permanently nailed down yet, but uh, we're going to try to keep things a little bit shorter uh, for everybody if we if we can. As you can see, if Kevin and I get talking, it might be an hour long. Um, we're going to try to keep it a little bit shorter, try to do more specific um, maybe skills and, and talk with experts uh, that can teach us all something. So we're, we're going to try to do that as much as we possibly can uh, this kind of season two, the next year. Um, and we'll try not taking a couple months off like we did this year. So. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, man. Uh, well, I appreciate it uh, sitting down. I appreciate everybody out there. And, yeah, leave us uh, leave us a comment. Leave us a review somewhere, anywhere you can. Um, and thanks for listening. Everybody have a great day.